thing. And so last week, we kicked off our new series called Simple Theology. And our goal in this series here is to explain complicated theological concepts with one word. Today, we're focusing on the Trinity. How could you explain the Trinity in one word? I'm going to toss you that question. And so at your tables for the next minute, and literally the next minute, I want your table to discuss and come up with one word explaining the Trinity. Go. Down to 30 seconds, 30 seconds. All right, go ahead and wrap up the last thought at your table. I know this isn't a whole lot of time, but wrap it up. We'll come back together. I'd love to hear what your table came up with. All right. So what'd your table come up with? I'd love to hear them. Shout them out. One word. God. Unity. Unity. Strength. Strength. One more. Mommy. Mommy. <laughs> the word that I'm going to use today to explain the Trinity in one word is unity. You guys hit the jackpot. Now, as we learn about the Trinity, keep in mind that we'll also have some discussions after the sermon. And so the four discussion questions um, that we'll talk about are in your bulletin. It's also going to be on screen here. And so, again, check them out. Keep them in mind, again, of what to expect after the sermon. And so, again, we're going to, we're going to um, talk about what we learned today in your groups after. So those are the four questions. And so let's understand what we mean when we say Trinity is unity. To be able to get there, we have to understand three truths about the, about the Trinity. So let's build a, a foundation to get to the point where we talk about tri, uh, Trinity as unity. So the first truth is God is one. The second truth is God is three. And the third truth is God is distinct. Now, this is a concept that I borrowed from a theologian named Stanley Grenz. And so let's start with the first truth. God is one. So in order for us to understand Trinity as unity, we have to understand that God is one. So in the Christian worldview, if you believe that Christ is your Savior, in the Christian worldview, we believe that there is one God. This is also known as monotheism. Mono being one, theism being, meaning um, believing that there's a creator, believing there's a God. Whereas much of the ancient history where a lot of the religions come from and, and even how we're impacted by today, a lot of our ancient history, we find that polytheism is rather a belief that's common among ancient history. So that's why in Exodus chapter 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, he tells them to have no other God besides him. You see, before this, the Israelites 
the people that God gave the Ten Commandments to, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and they were influenced by the thousands of different types of Egyptian gods that Egypt had. Another notable verse is in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6.4. During kind of the same time period after the Israelites had gotten free from Egypt, Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Emphasis on one. This was so important that the people at that time would pray that twice a day. In Jewish culture, many devout Jews pray this twice a day. In the New Testament, we see passages like 1 Timothy. This is what it says. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And then James chapter 2, 19, this is what it says. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. And there's many more verses in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, where it points to one God. And so it's safe to say that God is one. That's just a core truth in understanding who the Trinity has unity. The second truth is, is this, God is three. While God is one, God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just got singing, done, done singing that. Now you might say, hold up, you just say God is one. Yes, God is one, and God exists in three persons. Now that might seem like a contradiction, but another theologian named Wayne Grudem says this, a contradiction would be there's one God and there are, there's, there's no God. Or God is three persons and God is not three persons. Or even God is three persons and God is one person. But to say that God is three persons and there is one God is not a contradiction. And so if we get very specific, saying that there is one God and there's three persons is not technically a contradiction. You see, God has existed in a community of three persons who are each qualitatively the same person. They share the same essence. They share the same nature. They have the same attributes. They have the same character. They have the same purpose. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, though three persons, they are each God. And here are some verses in the Old Testament that help depict this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God is using collective language. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. We were here last week talking about God's holiness. God says to Isaiah, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Not who will go for me, but who will go for us? Notice how God uses a plural pronoun to describe himself. And then we get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is speaking here, and notice that name is singular, not plural, even though he references three different names. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, we get a moment where the three people in the tree are all present at Jesus' baptism. This is what it says. 
At that moment, heaven was opened, and he, Jesus, Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting, and, sorry, I have a typo here. Let's see if I have it right here. Descending like a dove, and I have a typo there as well, too, on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. And so we get this image that the Spirit was there, Jesus was the one who was getting baptized, and a voice from heaven, God, said, this is my son who I am well loved, who I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, this passage is really crucial in understanding that, that they are three persons because people have tried to make sense of the truth that God is one and God is three. And so what has made sense for them is that, oh, God must must have modes that he changes into. And so in one situation, God becomes the father. And then in another situation, God becomes the son. And then in another situation, God becomes the spirit. Now, if you're a fan of the MCU, the Trinity isn't like Moon Knight, if you follow that series, where Moon Knight has different uh, personalities that he changes to. If that's the case that Jesus, if God, that God takes on different modes, it's really difficult to explain how each person of the Trinity is present at the same time when Jesus gets baptized. And so the second truth that is essential for us to understand the Trinity is that, again, God is three. Now, while I mentioned that the three persons, of, they are of the same nature, meaning they are, again, they have the same quality, the same attributes, qualitatively the same, they are also each unique and distinct, bringing us to the third truth, that God is distinct. The Father, Son, and Spirit all have the same essence, but they are each different and unique. And we see this through their functions. The Father oversees the plan of salvation. The Father plans what salvation looks like. The Son executes the plan that the Father has about salvation and dies on the cross and resurrects. You see, we believe that it was Jesus who died on the cross, not the Father who died on the cross, not the Spirit who died on the cross, but the Son who died on the cross. And then the Spirit... The Spirit's function is to convince us of the Father's plan and of the Son's death and resurrection so that we can be transformed. Though they are different in function, it doesn't make them less than the other. They might temporarily take a subordinate role like Jesus when Jesus came to earth as human, but they are all equal in essence and nature. Now, if we take all these three truths, God is one, God is three, and God is diverse, and we put them together, it brings us to what I had mentioned earlier, that the Trinity is unity. What do we mean by unity? We believe in one God who exists in three persons, and these three persons who are all the same essence are also distinctly unique, and they are all eternally united and cooperatively carry out the redemption plan for all of humanity. And the Trinity's relationship has, is, has been and is and will be fueled by love and harmony since all of eternity and all of eternity and the desires to have all of humanity experience the unity that they've experienced forever. An eternal relationship where three persons have continually served one another can only be fueled by an unconditional love. 
And that's why it's important that each person in the Trinity is in the same essence. If one is inferior than the other, I don't know if that could be true love. Maybe at its best it could be serving somebody and so there's hierarchy. At worst, it could be a form of slavery. Unity is what the Trinity wants us to experience. And unity is what the Trinity is. The Trinity exists in perfect unity. Now the Trinity, in all honesty, isn't an easy concept to understand. Theologian Millard Erickson says this, the Trinity is incomprehensible. And so in giving you the challenge of trying to explain the Trinity in one word, and then this morning sharing the Trinity explained in one word, again, it's a hard challenge because again, the Trinity is incomprehensible. We cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. When someday we see God, this is what Millard Erickson says, we shall see him as he is and understand him better than we do now. Yet even then we will not totally comprehend him. And for some of us, it might be like, what? Then why do we believe in God? But I think for me, the beauty is that it shows just how far and above God is and how complex he is. And so if I can't fully understand him, there's also this nuance of like, he's more than I could imagine and more than I can think of. And so if there's an issue that I have that's more than I can handle, I can trust that because God is more than, he can handle those things. And the unique thing about God is that God, our God is personal. And so if you feel like you're still trying to grasp this, it's okay. Scholars, theologians admit it's a tough concept to understand. Another theologian says it a lot simpler. Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. The Trinity is a very important concept to our Christian worldview that we have to hold on to. So as we do our best to grasp the Trinity as one essence, three persons, there are two important implications when it comes to understanding Trinity as unity. I think here's the first. Our evangelical tradition has done a great job of highlighting Jesus, has done a great job of highlighting who God is. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, oftentimes becomes an afterthought. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit because he has the same essence and the same nature as the Father and of the Son. And we need to honor him as God in the Trinity because his presence and his power help us do what God calls us to do, like love our enemies and forgive those who hurt us and live sacrificially. Second, you, I, all of humanity, all of humanity are created in God's image. And part of being created in God's image is to be in community. We're created to be in community like how God the Father, um, God the Son, and God the Spirit were created to be in community. Like the Holy Spirit, I wonder if there are people in our lives who are afterthoughts for whatever reason. Maybe they're the folks who have hurt us. Maybe they're the people that we don't see. I think it's worth concerning who in our lives are afterthoughts and how we can see them as equals because they are also created in God's image. It might be the family members that have hurt you. It might, have been a rude, it might be a rude coworker. 
It might be that neighbor that you've never met and it just feels so weird to say hi after you've been in the neighborhood for six months, six years, 60, you know, 60 years, who knows. And so, again, there's a sense of like, ah, it feels weird, you know, they're not up to par or whatever. Again, I think the Trinity gives us an opportunity to see each other as equals. And in that, we find ways to faithfully connect to them so that we can invite them to be united with God and experience his redemption plan for humanity and the world. And so I think these are the implications in seeing that God, I mean, seeing the Trinity is unity. Let me pray for us. God, the concept of Trinity, even for myself, can be so complex. Thought of one God, three persons, how do we explain this? So may we trust and know that we can hold both tensions because they don't contradict each other. That at the same time you are God, you also exist in three persons, in the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That you are one essence in three persons, and you are distinct with each function and that you've existed this throughout all of eternity, Lord. And in light of what you tell us to do, Lord, you, you tell us to bring people into our communities, Lord. You tell us to, to, to come to you. You tell us to be restored in you. And likewise, as we go into our communities, we bring that restoration to them as well, too. And so just these depictions of unity is just littered throughout scripture. And so help us understand Trinity as best as we can, knowing that this is the blueprint of who you are, this is the DNA of who you are, Lord, and that you call us to be united with you, and you call those who don't know you to be united with you. And so allow us to continue to be faithful in knowing who you are and allowing us to be united with you and allowing us to be agents who will unite others to you. So we thank you and we look forward to this day, Lord, where we can experience and truly know what the Trinity is and all of its mystery and all of its wonder. We thank you. We pray and let this in your name, Lord. Amen.